we'll start with the first verse here in chapter 1, I'm mean, chapter 10, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. You see Paul's heart. We know in the beginning of the chapter 9, uh, he, he was willing, if the Lord would permit it, uh, to be accursed. So that gives you uh, a strong indication of the great love he had, uh, as he said in the third verse of chapter 9, his countrymen. Here he says, for Israel, which is the same thing. He's talking about the nation state of Israel, those that are Jewish, those that are from the household of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob uh, by Jewish blood. His great heart for Israel that they would be saved. But you see, it's not just his heart, and you and I should not just have a heart for things, it should translate into the second part of what he says there, my heart and prayer. Right? A lot of people have a heart for things, but they don't pray for those things. Oh man, that breaks my heart. And that's where, where it stops. Right? Uh, and it stops that way even in a Christian's life that hasn't matured in a prayer life. So even mature Christians that God would have us to mature and commit all things to prayer, as Jesus did. He committed everything to prayer. That's why Paul said to pray without ceasing. There's, all, there's never something encountering us that God doesn't want us to be talking with him about it and really going before him, whether it's with praise or petition, request, interceding for others. But not just his heart's desire, but to back it up with prayer. And you think about the things that we would, that we would want to see God do. Man, I would love to see God pour out the power of the Holy Spirit. I would love to see so-and-so get saved. And then you have to ask, is it, am I praying for that or I just say that? that Paul would, I, have a, I have a desire to see Israel saved. But it, it's, it's deep in the fabric of his continual prayer life. And I don't know about you, I, I, I'm sure the same is case, that, that uh, we, we realize that there's things that we have not committed to proper prayer. That we can say, oh, I have a desire for that. Desire and prayer. Desire and prayer. We gather every Sunday morning here, uh, and not that uh, there is more power, uh, on a th- but you know, we gather together at 9.45 every Sunday. We usually have a very light group. You know, it's a very, very light crowd. But I believe that, um, of course, we don't need a lot of people for God to, to, God to move. He, a handful of people, even one effective prayer of a righteous man in James chapter 5, God can do much. I mean, he did that with Elijah, who was praying fervently. Uh, but I believe that the things that we want to see, we want to see strongholds broken, we want to see the Holy Spirit poured out, we want to see revival, God is going to say, okay, where is the commitment to prayer? Paul would say, for me, I can't just have this desire, I have to have it laden with prayer, that translation into a definitive action that I would begin to commit it to prayer, put it down. A lot of times people say, hey, I'll pray for you, and never do. We've all been guilty of that. The first thing to do is pray on the spot, so you will immediately begin to continue to pray, and you have a marker for it. But uh, God wants us to not just care, but to pray about it. A lot of people, a lot of people in the world 
They see a lot of things and they have a pity about something, but there's no prayer behind it. And God wants us to not have just a pity. Man, I wish wish our neighborhood was saved. Well, start praying every day for the neighborhood to get saved and that you would have opportunity. You'd bump into people and then we'd be bold enough to introduce ourselves. It's a you know, my, my daughters, I, I don't think I'm a fraction as bold as they think I am because I don't think I'm all that bold. I think I'm rather not bold at all. I, I see people like Ray Comfort and I say, no, there's someone who's bold. You know, and I, I, I don't see that at all. But, you know, you know, my daughters will say, Dad, you'll introduce yourself and just kind of, you know, uh, I, and I say, well, I have no chance. I have no chance to at least share the gospel if I don't make some kind of connection. Right? If you have the opportunity. But then I have to walk away from the and, and pray for that individual. Pray for that situation, whatever it is. But it's regard, regarding Israel. Special burden Paul has. That Israel, his people. We pray often for revival for America. It's not that we don't care about the rest of the world. Matter of fact, we care a lot about the rest of the world. That's why we're involved with Gospel for Asia. Chosen people, Samaritan's Purse, new tribes. We care about the whole world. We know that Jesus died for the whole world. But we have a special care for America because we're Americans. And we were born here. And and this country is our countrymen. And so you can understand where Paul has that special burden. Uh, It doesn't mean that I love Americans more than I love people from Africa or Asia. I don't. I don't know about you. I don't love Americans more, but I do have this burden for the people that I see on a regular basis every day. And Paul had that burden. But as it relates to Israel, we all are to have a burden for Israel. Psalm 122, verse 6 says, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. I I don't know about you, but I like that promise from God. May they prosper who love you. That our love for Israel, our prayer for Israel, now we know that this is, this is important for a nation state too. Those that curse Israel will be cursed. Those that bless Israel will be blessed. The day we stop blessing Israel, we've already got, we've already got a lot uh, weighed against us uh, when the scales of God, you know. Um, when you think of Belshazzar, he was told by Daniel, you've been weighed and found wanting. Uh, America's already been weighed and found wanting. No question about it. Uh, but the camel that would break the straws, uh, the, the straw that would break the camel's back could easily be to say, we're not going to support Israel anymore. But no matter what the country does, we should have a burden for Israel as Paul does because these, uh, God has asked us specifically to pray for his people, to pray for those uh, that he raised up as his own nation of Zion. So this burden that Paul has, uh, we see it continue as we saw in the ninth chapter. And he goes into verse 2, For I bear witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Paul readily admits that many in the Jewish community were at that time and still are today. If you've been to Israel or if you've been to uh, New York and you've seen the Orthodox specifically, but not only the Orthodox, but uh, they are zealous for the faith. They will put in an incredible amount of time and effort to stay true to what they believe pleases God. Right? What they wear, 
how they do the hair, the tassels on the side. You know, some of these things are found in Scripture, some of them are not. Uh, and, but nevertheless, the zeal is there. But Paul says, it's not according to knowledge. It's not according to the knowledge that, that uh, we see in Isaiah chapter 11 that Damien Kyle was talking about. If you hear last week, the Spirit of the Lord is upon him, the Spirit of knowledge. That's in uh, Isaiah chapter 11, the first couple of verses there. The Spirit of knowledge would actually cause us to do things that are in harmony with God, not do those things that actually run afoul of what he's asked us to do. And we're going to see what he has asked us to do under the, under the, the believing uh, bullet point here, what he wants us to believe in, who he wants us to believe in, as opposed to believing in our own works. And he goes on, they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness. That never works, does it? Establishing your own righteousness. Remember Cain tried that? I'll establish my own, and God will be pleased. And remember Cain, he was very unhappy that God wasn't pleased. But God will never allow us to dictate what he wants. We must accept and receive what he requires. So establishing our own righteousness uh, is never going to please the Lord, uh, nor will it ever bring peace and fulfillment to the person trying to establish their own righteousness. But he goes on, they've not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ, verse 4, this is the one God wants them to turn to. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now, it doesn't mean that the law goes away. We know Jesus would fulfill the law. Every law would be filled up in him. Uh, not a, he even said himself, not a single jot or tittle would even pass away. It meant that nobody would be under the understanding, or, or that nobody would under, be under the belief anymore that keeping the law would ever satisfy God. That only Christ had ever kept the law. He was the end of anyone trying to keep the law. He was the only one that ever perfectly kept the law. Everyone else needed to be found in him because he could keep the law. And prior to that, certainly uh, we know that uh, Paul had already talked about that even the men that they revered the most, Abraham, David, they were justified by faith, not even by the law themselves. But Jesus... God knowing before the foundation of the earth that he would keep and fulfill the law, but also fulfill not just the righteousness of the law, but also the blood sacrifice, the resurrection, all of these things. And so even though Christ has now come, he's died, he's raised from the dead, Paul says most of my countrymen reject, don't pay any attention to the life of Christ or the person of Christ, yet they continue to be incredibly fervent and worship. But, you know, the old saying, you can be sincere, but you can be sincerely wrong. Right? Sincerity alone is not enough. When, if you stand before God and you're, and you're uh, a Jewish person, say, you know, I went to 
tabernacle. I, 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 did, uh, I did the synagogue thing every single week. We, we kept all the feasts. We did Shabbat as best as I know, like the rich young ruler. I haven't broken any commandments that I'm aware of. God would say, you've broken a lot. And the biggest one you broke is you rejected my son. Christ is the end of the law. Moses writes about the righteousness which is from the law. The man who does these things shall live by them. If you want to be, if you want to be held to the perfection of the law, you'll be judged by the perfection of the law. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want that, would you? I bet some of you broke a commandment this very week. We all know, we, 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 probably virtually everyone here, except for one of you really, really holy people, broke one today, somewhere along the way. There was a moment that you didn't love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Probably, right? If you wanna, God says, if you want to live by the perfect standard, you'll be judged by that. But if you put your faith in my son, it's the end of you believing that you could ever keep the perfection of the law. Paul had already said, he wrote in one of his other epistles, that, uh, that the law was a tutor to bring him to Christ, showing that he couldn't keep all the law. But they had a zeal for God. And Paul understood this zeal for God. Remember Paul before his own conversion? He was so zealous for the law that he thought he was doing God a big favor by killing and imprisoning Christians. Right? Uh, he, in his mind, that it was still like the Old Testament. You know, if God told Joshua to go in and kill everybody, didn't that sometimes satisfy the commandment of God? Where God would say, all right, when you go in, annihilate these, I mean, not, everything, animals, everything. Saul was given a commandment like that too, wasn't he? And he didn't keep it. So in, in the eyes of the religious and those that would keep the law, it would make sense if God would continue to use a righteous man like Paul to imprison a blasphemer that would call the Jesus of Nazareth equivalent to God, Jehovah, that that was blasphemy. Remember, they, they accused Jesus of that as well because he, he, said his, he said he was God, that that was worthy of death. And so Paul believed that he was standing for God when he was opposing God, because what did Jesus say to him? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? What, you're actually attacking the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. You're actually, you remember Paul said, who are you, Lord? Right? Who are you? I want to know uh, who you are. He told him his name is Jesus, Acts chapter 9. You can read about it, verses 1 through 20. It's actually in the book of Acts three times. Their knowledge, their knowledge, yeah, they have knowledge, but they have knowledge of the commandments of God, but they're ignorant in believing that they can satisfy God by keeping them, because they can't. can't keep them. To know the commandments, but to actually keep them, to believe that they could. And like I said, with the rich young ruler, he believed he had kept them. Or at least he made himself believe he had kept them, right? Uh, Lord, I've done all these things. Whether he really believed that or not, uh, we do convince ourselves that, 
that we have achieved more than we have in many cases. And so they've established this righteousness of their own. But really what God wants is to submit to him. I was just reading in my own devotions recently, and I, I love to re-be, be reminded by the Lord of things that I've read many times. But, you know, you just read the simplistic. There is uh, there on the Mount um, of Transfiguration. We don't know which mountain it was. We know that, you know, when we were up in Israel, if you go north of the Sea of Galilee and you go up into the Golan Heights, you'll reach Caesarea Philippi, which in that time had the different temples uh, to the different gods. And Jesus, that's where he stood there with that huge big red rock behind him and said, um, who do men say that I am? And they said, you know, some say you're Jeremiah, some say you're Elijah, some say you're John the Baptist. He said, who do you say that I am? That's when Peter said, thou art the Christ. And Jesus said, flesh and blood hath, hath not revealed that to you, but my Father in heaven. The fact that you and I can believe that Jesus really is the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, Yeshua, the One who's come to save us from our sins, God has opened our eyes to believe that and to see it. But he went on to say that um, upon upon this rock himself, he would build his church. And then right after that, Uh, you'll see there in Matthew that they go up into a high mountain. We don't know which mountain it is. It may be up towards Mount Hermon. And that's where Jesus all of a sudden becomes as white, his garments as white as snow. He shines with a bright light. And when Peter and them look up, the most amazing scene, there's Jesus talking with Moses and Elijah. The three of them standing there having a conversation. Jesus Christ Moses and Elijah, I was telling my girls about it, you know, I, I reread it to them, I said, this is a fascinating thing. They've never seen Moses and Elijah. They didn't have pictures of them. There was no cameras in those days, right? No one knew what Moses and Elijah looked like, but immediately the Holy Spirit reveals that's Moses and that's Elijah. So Peter, being zealous, but not according to knowledge, but still was zealous and had a good heart about it. He's like, Lord, it is good that we are here. It's like the best church service I've ever seen. Who in the world could ever see Jesus, Moses, and Elijah on top of a mountain? You guys are glowing. And there's just me, James, and John. Why don't we build each of you a tabernacle? And he meant it. Peter's ready to go chop some wood down. Start building. And then, of course, immediately God speaks from heaven and poof, only Jesus is standing there and a big cloud comes over them and the clouds speak, this is my son, hear him, right? Hear him. And this is what uh, those that have this zeal, even in that moment, Peter had it. To let, let's do something for Moses represents the law. Elijah represents the prophets. The two of them are standing there. Let's build something for them. And God says, no, no, no. I just want you to listen to my son. Moses and Elijah have done great work for me. They're here to minister to him. They didn't know at the time, but they were there to minister to Jesus before going to the cross. But they've done what I've asked them to do. Now, all you need to do is fix your eyes on my son, it actually says when they, uh, when they looked up, they saw only Jesus. 
because Jesus is the end of the law and the prophets. He's the fulfillment of the law. He's the fulfillment of the prophets. You put your faith in him, you will satisfy. Well, you don't satisfy it, but Christ himself satisfies it, and you're coming to believe and trust in him. Verse 6 and 7, he talks about the righteousness. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. That's foolish because you can't, you can't bring Christ from heaven or anywhere else. You and I are just mere men and women. We, can't, we don't tell Christ where he will go or where he won't go, do we? We have no authority over him. We have no... Um, there's nothing that God says, that's so impressive that you've done that I'll now start to listen to you. This is my son here, him. There's nothing that we can do. We can't bring about anything. Our righteousness will never, you'll never build a tower of Babel high enough. Remember, they, the whole world tried that, right? You'll never build a tower high enough to ascend into heaven. We've never even, no one that's alive ever been down to the abyss, the center of the earth, which the scriptures talk about. Only Christ, only Christ has the power. that He has the keys to death and hell, doesn't he? He has the very keys to death and hell. He'll descend when the Father says, now. There's nothing that we will ever do that is impressive and has any authority. It's simply to say, in verse 8, the word is near you, in your mouth, the word of faith. God says, the only thing I want from you, the only thing I want from the children of Israel is for them to believe my son, to believe the testimony of what I've done. Not try and impress me with religiosity. Paul was doing that. There was no one, you know, Paul even testifies that there, there was perhaps no one as zealous as him. That God picked him because he was the most zealous. That he was the archetype of the zealous Hebrew. A Hebrew of Hebrews, he called himself. And isn't it interesting that Paul would end up being hated and persecuted by the, they were the ones that made sure that they wanted to kill him. Remember, he would have He would have been killed in Jerusalem had it not been for the Romans stepping in to defend him. The Jews were going to kill him. They couldn't stand Paul because he went from having their zeal with a knowledge that was distorted, that that believed we can please God with our works. We can do enough. I'm still amazed, and I, I... I, I, I guess I've been saved long enough. It still amazes me. Because to me it seems obvious. I think, to me it was obvious even before I got saved. How many, how many really, even before you saved, you, you knew you were a sinner? Even before you got saved. You ever meet people say, I'm not a sinner. I, 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 my, my jaw usually feels like it's on the ground. Like what parallel universe do you live in? Can I follow you for a week? 
and watch you driving down the road, give someone a hand signal. Do, you, know, you know that they do things that, that would at least be mean-spirited. That would, you know, they, they, but people that have a zeal, according to, no, 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 I am a really good person. The rest of the scumbags out there, and this is what many of the Israelites, they were bound... They were bound into a false sense of their own righteousness. And it clouded their vision to the place that they would be able to, with fervor, say, all you wicked people. Remember the Pharisees felt that way. They called, they called people sons of the devil, sons of hell. And Jesus said, no, you're sons of the devil. Remember, they told Jesus that he did his work by Beelzebub that he cast out demons through the power of Satan. The very thing that they actually were, he said, no, you actually are the sons of the devil, yet you accuse me of being a son of the devil. And that you can be that blinded by your own religious construction. You build build your own righteousness. It's exactly what it says, that they tried to establish their own righteousness. And Jesus exposed their own righteousness as faulty, He said, I can show you that your foundation is wrong. This doesn't work. This doesn't work. You remember that uh, when the woman was caught in adultery, he just starts writing on the ground, doesn't he? Like, yeah, let's talk about your righteousness. Last night, you were thinking, (laughs) right? Just goes right to the heart of the fact that you can't keep the law and God's not impressed by your religious activity. You know, we should never, ever, <laughs> and I don't think any, it's, it's an issue with most of us, but we, we should never give people the indication that we have somehow arrived spiritually here at Calvary Chapel. I tell people all the time, look, I'm, I'm just as undeserving of God's grace as anybody. We're sinners saved by His grace. There's never been anything in me that could actually merit God coming down and loving me. It's His own grace, His own mercy. But the deeds of the law, deeds done in the law, by the flesh, they'll never justify us. Galatians chapter 3, verse 11 and 12 says, but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith, yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Which it says here as well. So Paul quotes that also in Galatians chapter 3. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God. You, no one means no one. No one. No one will ever be, has ever, will, has ever been, no one will be justified by the law. One mistake is enough. He goes on in verse 9, which is the case in much of Romans. Don't you see a lot of verses you've heard a lot of times in your life? Romans chapter 10, verse 9 is one of those verses that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. Verse 10 and then verse 11, for the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. 
This simple, single word of believe. Believe. Believe in who? Believe in what? Well, back to verse 4. For Christ. If you believe, verse 9, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, confessing Christ, putting your full faith and weight on Him. I remember the uh, way back in, uh, we were in... Um, Fort Lauderdale. It was the first year we got saved, and and uh, the Harvest Crusade was that year. It was in Fort Lauderdale, and I don't know if some of you guys have ever been to any of the Harvest Crusades with Greg Laurie. Now this, the, the one we're uh, we're hosting the national simulcast. This is before they did a national simulcast, before everyone had the internet and all that good stuff. But uh, you know, it was there in Fort Lauderdale, and, and I, I, you know, Greg was telling the story of, you know, like uh, I, I believe it was a true story. You know, a man that was um, kind of like the guy that just walked on the tightrope across the Grand Canyon, the, the, the Christian guy, I can't remember his name, that did that recently, walked across the tightrope, but there was a, a famous um, magician, uh, acrobat, daredevil, all rolled into one, that was walking back and forth over, you know, the um, Niagara Falls there on a tightrope and a wheelbarrow, and he was saying, how many people here think that uh, I can put... 10 bags of sand and go across. Everyone's, yeah, you can do it. And cheer and everything. Uh, how many think I can do 20? And you go back and forth. All right, how many think I can do it with a man in the wheelbarrow? And everyone's like, yeah, you can do it. All right, someone get in it. There was no volunteers. We believe. All right. Remember Jesus said to Peter, come and follow me? We believe in you. But it's with the mouth and the heart, isn't it? And I think that, you know, we have a lot of easy believism. There's a lot of people, I, I, I think this is something to be careful of. There's a lot of people who have, Jesus said also, and he quoted from Isaiah, he quoted the book of Isaiah when he said, this people worships me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So it's possible to say a sinner's prayer, but not possible if it's both the mouth and the heart. Then salvation is given by the Lord. And I don't know, for each individual, God knows what the heart level is. God knows what a true, contrite, sincere, Lord, I believe in you. And I really believe that Jesus, when we truly believe on him, Getting in the wheelbarrow in our heart, and I'm not saying uh, that, you know God really looks at where where we're, we're contrite, we're remorseful, we have a repentant heart, and we come to Christ. And we say, Lord, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you're the Savior. Please save me. I now follow you. That's the belief that we're talking about. The believing in the heart that God God has raised him that that salvation is given. But I believe that. There's still many people that have said sinners' prayers that may even quote these same words. And Billy Graham said that for years. He said, you know, I, I know that not everybody that walked forward, matter of fact, good numbers of those that walked forward probably were not actually saved. And that's the case. But with the heart, 
We're saved when God circumcises the heart. He looks at the heart and we say, Lord, I've turned. You know, because I had said, I know for me, I had said sinner's prayers a couple of times in my life earlier, uh, but I, I had a distinctly different heart response in 1995. I knew instantaneously, I had weighed the cost. I had determined, Lord, I will follow you. I, I like drop the nets, if you will, like Peter. I'm coming with you, wherever that may go. Um, believing with both the mouth and the heart. For with the heart, Paul, Paul's very, very clear. It's with the heart one believes, with the heart, not just the mouth. A lot of people have said a sinner's prayer, and they go right back out and live. And there's no way that God, and this is why uh, we know that many will say on that day, Lord, Lord, and he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. A lot of people will be, you know, but I, I was told I, I say this prayer, which I did. Am I good? Well, let's see. You said the prayer, and then you went straight back to the old life. Now, how is that fair to people who never said the prayer and lived just as wicked? I mean, really. The only difference between, so you've got Johnny and Joey. Both of them live in a moral life. Both of them continue to commit adultery. Both of them continue to be drunken. Both of them continue to do all the same things they ever did. But Joey said a sinner's prayer. It's like a, and a knock, it's like a shot. It's like a measles mump shot or something. I'm good. Go right back out there and do it. No, that, that's, that would be cheap grace. Paul, Paul addressed that in the earlier chapters, remember? You know, that you couldn't actually say, well, then I can go and keep sinning. No, 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 that, that's impossible. The heart is a change. God says, remember uh, uh, in Ezekiel, I'll take the, the stony heart out and put a, a soft heart in, a pliable heart. You know, prior to salvation, we all had hard hearts. But it's with the heart we believe. We believed on the name of the Lord. Not believe on Him, but then we're grafted in. We're saved. Whoever believes on Him will not be put to shame. What a shameful it's hard for us to fathom how shameful the great white throne judgment will be. It's impossible to fathom. Uh, we, can't, we can read about it, but it's impossible to fathom. You know, that same Mount of Transfiguration um, Jesus mentions, uh, and some of you standing here, now there's only three standing there, Peter, James, and John. So of the big crowd of three, some of you won't taste death until you see the Son of Man come down. Well, guess only one of them saw that, and that was the Apostle John. The other two died martyrs' deaths. But John, he didn't see it. It's, kind of, it's hard to say. John saw it, and John actually went all the way to the future and saw it live. Isn't that weird? God took him to the future, and he saw it live. But it was live already happened. It's, it's a mind-boggling thing, right? I'm just trying to help you understand that. And John saw. But one of the other things John saw is he saw the dead, both small and great, standing before a great white throne, and there was found no place for them. And 
In Revelation 21 he said, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone. This is the second death. This is to be put to eternal shame. Eternal shame. And it's worse than just shame. It's eternal torment. But shame is part of it. Where nobody will have their head up. The scriptures say every knee will bow down. Every head will be down in shame. Like, why did I spurn? We'll get to more of that. We're going we're gonna to stop in the middle of believing. We're going to pick up believing and we want to look at believing and beautiful together uh, we covered tonight burdened and bound but we'll look at uh, we'll stay here in, in this believing and look at the believing uh, and beautiful the verses uh, 9 all the way through 21 we've got a few more things that we want to look at i don't want to short sale the word believe is so enormous for the believer you came to christ believing, and you will continue to grow because of believing. You will continue to go because of believing, right? Everything in your life, and my life, it's faith and believing. They, they're, they're synonymous. They're hand in hand. Everything in our life will be what we believe in. And everything in the other place, the eternal shame, will be not believing. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. You know, I, Russ sent a video that I, I ended up tweeting it out, and you know, uh, it, it showed all the cataclysmic things that have happened just in the month of June 2013, which we just finished. Now, I knew a bunch of them, but a bunch of them I didn't even know about. Show, you know, it shows the myopic. Even, you know, I'm, I, I don't think I have a myopic view. I think I have a pretty good panoramic view, and I try and keep up with things around the world, but there was even a bunch of things I had no idea of. Uh, but uh, again, you would look at them all, and, uh, you know, Luke chapter 21 immediately comes to mind for me, and, you know, seeing the things that Jesus said, and you see all these things, you would, you would be able to see all those things and not in any way say, wow, maybe Jesus knew what he was talking about. Maybe it really was going to be the way that we see it now, that the whole earth is you know, literally groaning and swaying and cities are being flooded all over the world. And uh, you know, recently we've seen all these uh, rainbows in Richmond. You know, I was talking to one of the couples here before and you know, commented that her friends in other states have been posting pictures of rainbows. Have we all lost our mind or have we seen more of them all of a sudden? And God is speaking in so many ways. He's speaking with the world crisis. I mean, 50, 40, was it? Uh, no, 20 million people protesting in Egypt, over a million in Brazil. All the world is, is on fire, but most Americans don't think, well, not just Americans, other people, but you know, that stuff irrelevant. And Jesus says, do you not believe what I've said? I said this just before the cross, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be the coming day of the Son of Man. And of all the people that should really see this and look up would be the household of Israel. 
the, the message here that, that we're going is the hope of Israel because it's going to be called all those that are blind and will go into the seven-year trouble. It's the time of Jacob's trouble. Israel will be the epicenter of all of it. And yet Paul is like, if you would call on Messiah now, you won't have to go through any of these things. If you would only believe, Jesus said, I long to gather you, but you were not willing. You wouldn't even believe the words that I said. We've got more of that to look at uh, in, in verses 14 through 21. But we'll stop there.